You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Dear Lord, God, we're so thankful, God, that we can, we can come, God, in boldness because of the confidence that you give us, God. God, we know, God, that your word tells us, God, not to lean on our own understanding, and so we don't, God. We lean on you. We trust you, God, to be the main, the thing, the anchor, God, the thing that propels us, to keep us in line with your word, God. Help us, God, to remember you in all the things that we do. In Jesus, amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We are still in our Mark series, and now we're moving on to a little bit of a different story in Mark. It's still in chapter 12. Um, at the last time we talked, we talked, um, we looked at the parable of the vine growers. And so now we're going to actually read a little farther past that. And we're going to go from verses 13 to 17. Once again, Mark chapter 12, looking at verses 12 to, I mean, I'm sorry, 13 to 17. When you are there, say amen. Amen. Well, here's how it reads, in verse, starting in verse 13. It says, Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement, meaning Jesus. They came and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and, defer to, and, and you defer to no one, for you are not partial to any but to teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Verse 15, shall we, shall we pay, I mean, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, meaning Jesus, said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. Verse 16, they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Amen. Bow, let's bow our heads for one quick more prayer. Um, Lord, bless the, bless the preaching, God. But bless the only thing, God, bless the hearers of your word. God, let it, um, let it sink in, God, and let us be people who, um, who are responsible, loving Christian citizens, God. And Jesus, amen. Amen. You may, see, you may be seated. So today's, so today's sermon is entitled, um, For Our King or For Our Country, The Reality of the Christian Citizen. Once again, For Our King or For Our Country, The Reality of the Christian Citizen. Now, last time, last time Brother Jeff preached, and he did a great job of preaching, um, he ended up his sermon on the parable of the vine growers. And so it all stemmed from the fact that the Pharisees, the, I mean, I'm sorry, not the scribes and the chief priests and the elders were coming to him and trying to essentially trap Jesus with this, um, with this kind of, with these kind of this baiting of questions. And so the question they essentially asked him was basically like, who, on whose authority did he come? Well, Jesus proceeds to answer the question, but then after he, goes, after he talks about that, he, rather than to essentially answer that question, which is a really good move, he decides to answer their question with a question. And so he, simply, he, essentially, asks, he essentially asks them to basically help them figure out who do you believe, you know, who do you believe, the, what do you believe about the baptism of John, right? What do you think, who do you think authority do you think he came upon? And so when they say it, and when they had no answer, essentially he says, well, listen, I won't answer your question. 
Now, moving into the parable of the vine growers, the essential, the essential, the essential summary of the parable of the vine growers is this. God had placed those religious leaders to allow them to be the people who would shepherd over the flock of God, which in this case was Israel. Well, the problem was is that, as you remember from Brother Jeff's sermon last week about um, spiritual squatters, was that they wanted the blessings of following God without the actual, without being responsible for following God in a sense. And so what it ends up being is that he tells the story of the parable of the vine growers. He real, they realize that hey, we're not following, I mean, he tells the story and he makes it clear that the people, every time that the, um, the vineyard owner would send somebody to check on the vineyard because there was ownership involved in getting a partial, I mean, a partial of the harvest of the vineyard, they would kill him. And he thought to himself, well, surely if I send my only son, they'll listen. Well, then they kill the only son, which is representation of who Jesus is. And so eventually what it boils down to is this, that the, that the, that the people who were considered to people to be the laborers in the, in the vineyard were the people who were essentially not taking care of it, and therefore the master had to remove them from being responsible for it. Now, when he tells this, now when Jesus tells this story, you would think that the, the chief scribe, the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders would basically tuck their tail and just walk away and just leave it alone, but they didn't. In fact, it made them even more indignant. In fact, they really wanted, they were really angry at Jesus, and they really wanted to see him go down. Well, here's the thing. They decide not only to go, they don't decide to go back themselves. They decide that they would send back some other people. Now, they were very selective in who they chose. In fact, it's the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, many of you guys are probably familiar with who the Pharisees are. They were considered the hyper-religious of Jesus' day, right? They were, they were these people who went around and thumped everybody in the head with, with Bible and told them about all these things while, while they weren't ever going to get to God and how they weren't worshiping God and that they knew all the things, how to, uh, knew how to get to God. But the only problem is they couldn't see and understand Jesus. Now, not only that do they get the Pharisees, but then there's this group of people called the Herodians. Now, the Herodians get their name because they were followers of Herod. Now, here's the thing. They were, they, were, they were Jewish people, but they were followers of Herod. Now, the problem was is that Herod didn't have, he wasn't interested in necessarily helping, you know, um, Jewish people come up in that, in that particular time. In fact, what it, what it boils down to is that there are a bunch of people who claim to know who God is and love God, but yet they basically were contradictory in their love for him because when Herod asked them to do something that was trampling upon their spiritual beliefs, they gave in. Is everybody following me? So you got this one group on this side that stands and say, listen, we don't take anything from Caesar, all right? Who is the, who is the leader of the day? And so the point, and so what we get to is this idea that they, the, the, chief, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders send the Pharisees and Herodians. You have one group who not only doesn't care for the government that rules over them, but then they have to, one thing they definitely don't care about is the tax. And here's why they don't care about the tax. Number one, Caesar, or the ruler of Rome, and keep in mind that the Caesar name is kind of a generic name for the ruler of Rome. It's like, it's like calling, although they did have a family name, it was really a generic name for saying the ruler of Rome. All right, is everybody following me? Now, this ruler, Caesar, always considered himself to be godlike. But now the issue is there's a conflict because the Jews were following someone, were following the real one true God. And so why would they follow? And so the Pharisees' idea was, listen, why would we follow this pretender God when we have the real God? 
Well, then you have this other group say, yeah, we follow God, but man, oh man, do we give in and listen to the government? Do we give in and listen to, um, listen to Herod and anything he tells us to do? And the other reason why, why the Herodians were, were, were such um, essentially liberal in their thinking was because not only were they bending, bending to, all, to, the, to the will of the rulers, but then they were also getting certain kickbacks because they were bending to, be, to the rulers. Is everybody following me? Is everybody with me? Okay. So you got these two groups who are now, who actually don't like each other, being put together and told to go to Jesus. Keep in mind that Jesus already shut down the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, but yet now they're coming back to ask a different question. And the question's about something that was controversial during the day. It was about the poll tax. Now, this tax was essentially a tax that was given because, simply because Rome wanted to figure out how many people were living in a certain jurisdiction and basically they had to pay a tax for living there, okay? It was essentially a census tax where, listen, if you're in that town, you just have to pay a census tax because you're there and because we need money for whatever the reason, all right? Well, they go to, so, so the, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they go to Jesus, and they ask this question. First of all, they leap, they basically pour compliments all over and talking about how they, I know you're not impartial and I know that you teach the truth. And the reality is they were saying this because they thought the question they would ask was an either or question. Their hope was that based upon Jesus's answer, if he answered one way, the people would see him, I mean, the the, he, would, um, he would basically stand against the government. If he answered the other way, he'd be standing against the people. Is everybody still with me? I know this is a long explanation, but I want to make sure I get this in before we dive into the points. And so Jesus, being the man he is, being the wise one, being the one who's all-knowing, they asked that question, are we to pay the tax or to not pay the tax? He answers in a very interesting way. He says, hey, I'll tell you what, go bring me a denarius. And so he brings him a coin. They bring him a coin. And he makes this one simple answer. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. And the reason why they're amazed is because Jesus is answering the question in a way that they didn't expect him to answer the question. It was, they thought it was an either or, but in this case, it was an and both. You see, the reality of, the reality of our lives is this, guys, is that we have, we have authorities in our life. God has built, our, has built our country, has built who we are with the fact that we have authorities in our life. Amen? And because of these authorities, and because we, because we live under God's authority, because we are people who, are, who, fun, who function on the authority of God, we see that God not only tells us to follow his authority, but he also wants us to follow the authorities that he placed on earth. Amen. Now, although that, now the reality of that is that we have to be able to recognize a couple of things. And that is really the crux of my sermon today is the fact that as we walk through this Christian life, we have to not only recognize that we have authority from God, but God has placed authorities in our lives so that we're able to function. And so what I want to do is really get quickly to the points of the reality of Christian citizens. Now, all the answers, all the points are really coming from verse 17. If you would read verse 17 with me one more time, it says this. It says, and Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And, and so Jesus is answering all their questions really within the context of that statement. And so what it starts off with is this. 
If we're going to look at the idea of the fact that we are, we are, we are Christians and that we're citizens of, of, this, of a nation, we have, to look at, we have to look at a couple ideas just from that statement alone. Number one, we have to recognize, even from the context of Jesus, that, first of all, Caesar has a legitimate realm, all right? In verse 17, he said, to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, the reason why that stood against what they were talking about at the time was because it almost felt like Jesus was saying, okay, give in and just do what they say, which would have kind of stood against one of those groups. In fact, it would have been stood against what the Pharisees thought because, once again, they didn't like the established government, all right? And so Jesus in this verse is saying the word render means to pay a debt or to pay back. Jesus is essentially acknowledging that there is an, there is a, there's an authority that the, that the state or the Caesar or Rome has an authority, it has a function, and it has demands, all right? Is everybody still with me? The, the, the Caesar has a, a legitimate authority. But now you've got to figure out, so what is Caesar's job? Caesar's job is he's recognized, I mean, Caesar's job is this. Number one, he has authority. He's the ruler of the land. You have to recognize that. His function is to preserve peace. That's his job. And because he rules over the land and because he has to preserve the peace, he has demands. His demands in this case are for citizen responsibility, whether that's make me abiding by the law or paying the taxes, right? You see, Jesus is, saying, is, making, is saying, telling to this authority that they are legitimate source. They are, they are, in reality, a source that we have to give respect to, all right? The authority is allowed, and it comes from God. If you would, take a right and turn to Romans chapter 13. We'll read just a few verses from there. Now, in Romans chapter 13, if you start in verse 1, it says that in verse 1, it says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For any rulers are not the cause of fear of good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do you do what is good and you will have praise from the same? For it is a minister of God to, of, of God to, to you for good. But if you do not, I mean, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is the minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be sub, in subjection, not only because of the wrath, but also because for conscience sake. Now, there is more to this verse, but what I want to get to is the fact that, listen, God establishes authorities on earth for our good. God establishes authorities on, our, on this earth for our good. Now, to be, to be really clear, the context in which Romans 13 is written is the fact that it's written during a time when Rome is not, I mean, people in Rome are being persecuted for the faith. So he's writing, he's writing these um, Christians, telling them to, to be in subjection or to, to, um, to basically be, of, yeah, be into subjection to people who they're not really, I mean, who are not really for them. Is everybody following me? Now, if you go back to Mark, now go back to Mark. 
God is saying, or Jesus in this case is saying, listen, we have to recognize that there's a legitimate realm in which, in which we must give respect to the authority that it is due. Why am I bringing this up? You know, a lot of times we find ourselves in a place where, you know, especially in America where, you know, things that are political get charged, you know, are, are probably a lot more charged and a lot more of a dividing concept than any other time that I've ever seen. You know, when I think about this, and when I think about this, and if you allow me to digress for just a moment, um, I think about in 2008. So in 2008, during the election, um, there was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this was the first time that President Barack Obama was elected to office. Now, with that came a few different reactions. There was a group of people who were, you know, who were excited and they were, they were giddy, but then there was a group of people who were distraught, who were upset, right? Well then, there, you know, when I checked Facebook, everything, I mean, whether it's good or bad, this is the reality of the world that we live in, is that, you know, there were people who were praising that, this, that the election happened, but then there were also people who were basically spitting vitriol about, about the other side of this, about the other side of the equation. And, the, and what they were saying is that they disagree with a lot of the policies and the ideals of the candidate, which I can totally understand, right? But at some point, we have to realize that, you know, People are there for a reason, right? Now, we don't, although we are allowed to vote, it's because of God's allowing them to be there that they are there. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, but here's the thing. We have to recognize that God has allowed these authorities to be in places for reasons. Well, then here's the other part. That's not just the beginning of my story. There's another half of the story because fast forward eight years later, right? And so now we're in a place where um, Donald Trump has been elected. Well, then the opposite thing happens, right? Where there's this other group who were like, yes, somebody, he was elected. Well, other people were like, ugh. And then they would start spitting out vitriol, right? And here's the thing. People can have an opinion about who they don't like. But one thing is for sure, we have to give respect to authority. Now, you don't have to amen me on that. But we got to give respect to the office. Amen? You see, here's the thing. Regardless of the person, who's, who, the, regardless of that person, we have to learn to stick to that, okay? Now, here's the thing. There have been claims, you know, from the, you know, from the, the other side, from 2008, where people were because of um, Barack Obama's views on um, homosexual marriage to abortion, all these different things that come up. So I understand why people have a gripe on this side. But then on this other side, you see where people have issues about they have these claims of this person not necessarily being for everybody of every ethnic group. And they have they think that this person is um, outrageous in his, in his demeanor and personality. Well, all these things are founded, guys. But God still tells us that regardless of the, how, if we like them, we must give respect. We have to. Now, I know that's not a very popular thing to say, but we have to learn to be, we have to learn to be engaged in, Christ, I mean, in, um, in our politics, but not let that be the defining of who we are. You see, a lot of times we find ourselves in a place where people know us more for our political affiliations than they know us for being people who follow Jesus. And that's a problem. Now, it doesn't necessarily matter if the persuasion or like this political party's platform more fits your beliefs. That's okay, I understand that. But we also have to make sure, right, that if we're going to, we're, we need to give respect to both sides, whether you're on the winning side or the losing side. And I, don't, and I don't think that we should be in a place where the only thing that we're really being judged by is political affiliation. I think that's a very dangerous thing to have, to think that 
politi a political affiliation is more aligned with this certain political party more than it is with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If you don't like the established leadership, you know, the best thing about our country is this. You have the power to vote them out. Or you have the power to, to go in yourself and be, a, and be a part of the political process and change things. But make no mistake about it, Jesus in these particular passages is saying, listen, you render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Because here's the thing, a lot of times we come across as saying things like, like we know the government is there, but we know that it's, um, it's untrustworthy or it has all these things that I don't agree with. But the reality is this, you're still submitting to authority. Why? Because, for instance, um, how many of you guys pay taxes? That means you're submitting to the authority. How many of you guys go to the post office and buy stamps? Okay, that means you're submitting to the authority, right? If you're, using the if you're using money, you're under the authority of this government. Therefore, you are bound to pay taxes. Now, am I saying be in love with the leadership? No, I'm not. I want to make sure that's clear. Is everybody following me? Did I say you have to be in love with the person who's in there? No, I didn't. But what I am saying is you do have to learn to give respect, regardless of who it is, right? All right, I know this wasn't going to be popular, so let me keep moving. <laughs> um, so here's what I want to do. Here's some principles I want to lay before you. You see, we're called to be subject to authorities, regardless of our personal preferences. You see, just because you didn't choose them doesn't mean that they make, you less, that make them less of a leader. Not only that, you have to give respect to the office of the authorities. The individual Christian might not agree with all that he says, but you have to learn to accept that they'll be there. Not only that, your identity, once again, should be defined by a spiritual party other than the political party. And that's where the Herodians got in trouble. They spend their time being more identified by the, by the Herod and the family that ruled under them more so than being people who follow Jesus. And that's a place that we don't want to be. Point two, not only do we want to recognize that Caesar has a legitimate realm, but we also have to recognize that God has a legitimate realm. He not only told us that you render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, he also said to, to the things that are for God, you give to God. Now, God, Jesus not only acknowledges the government of the authority of that day, he also acknowledges that God has a realm of authority as well. Now, when you, when you look at this statement, you recognize that not only does Caesar have authority, but then God has an authority. Now, his authority is different. Number one, God's authority is that he's sovereign over all. Our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. He is sovereign above all. Number two, his function. His function is the redemption of man. God is created. God is, is sovereignly over us, and he is basically in the business of redeeming man from sin. And not only that, his demand is that we have total obedience to his will. Now, the reason why this is so important to look at this statement is not only did Jesus recognize that Caesar was an authority, but he also recognized that God was authority. But look how he puts it in position. Notice he mentions Caesar first, but then afterwards he mentioned God's. That was on purpose. What he's saying is, yes, Caesar has something, but yet God is more. All right. So what he's alluding to is this idea that God has an authority too. And yes, Caesar may have authority. Caesar may have a function. Caesar may have a demand, but that demand is not over God's demand. Amen. Now, God, what, what is going on here is this. Not only do we need to recognize that, that Caesar has an authority, but God has an authority, but it's this idea that 
when Caesar rendered the coin, he rendered the coin because it was created in his image. So when, when Caesar makes a coin, he's making it saying that this is his authority, this is, you know, it's during his rule, it's his authority, and he expects it to be used um, to, to, to pay tribute to him. Well, here's something else you have to know. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 tells us that when God created us, he created us in his image. He created us in his image, which means this, is that because just like when Caesar created his emblem or his denarius and he wanted to be used for his tribute, God created us in his image and we're to be used for his tribute. Is everybody following me? And so when we do this, we need, that means that we have, a, we have a life that's created by God, for God, to be used by God. Now, this reminds me of a story that there was a story of a, of a young girl that during the, collect, I mean, during the time of um, tithes and offering, the, the, um, the, um, the offering plate was going around. And so people were taking money out their wallets or taking checks out and putting them in the collection plate. But then a young, the plate comes to a young girl and she puts it on the floor and she, puts, and she steps into the plate because, she, and when they ask, she's like, why did you put yourself in the plate? It's like, well, because I want to be used by God and I'm offering myself. It doesn't the body, I mean, doesn't the Bible tell us to offer our bodies as sacrifices, right? And so what, so what the point is, is that this little girl got it. This little girl got that, listen, not only we should be able to use ourselves as sacrifices towards God, because remember, you are made in his image. And because you are image bearers, that means you have a responsibility to give, um, give, God, I mean, to give God glory. You represent God by, um, by, by carrying his word all across the earth. And more than anything else, you have a relationship with God meaning that you, you are established, connected with God to do his will for his righteousness, for, for his glory. Amen? Now, the reason why that's important is that, you know, the Pharisees, they worked really hard trying to find some type of righteousness, but yet somewhere along the way, they lost sight. You see, because although they were, all they, they were trying to be people who were righteous, they were falling short because God wanted him to submit to his authority. God wanted them to um, be a part of his redemptive plan, and God wanted them to follow in obedience, although they were not. And I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. When it comes to us giving ourselves as sacrifices, as image bearers of God, we have to ask ourselves. I think that's something we need to wake up and ask ourselves every day. Number one, you know, we have to ask ourselves, number one, are we being image bearers? Meaning, are we, are we is God sovereign over our lives? Is God... Is, I mean, is God sovereign in our life? I mean, is, that, is he in complete control of who we are and what we do? Number two, we have to ask ourselves, am I being a part of God's redemptive plan? Meaning, am I helping contribute to God's redemptive plan by my works and by my, my purpose? And lastly, does he have my total obedience? Because, yeah, we're told to give ourselves over to this authority, but more than anything, we need to give ourselves over to God's authority. Now, one of the other things that you recognize from chapter, from um, verse 17, where it tells us to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to give to God the things that are his, is that God makes it, I mean, that Jesus makes a distinction between the Caesar's realm and God's realm, which means that the realms cannot be confused. He makes it clear that there is a, a, a distinction being there. Now, the thing is, is this. God, I think, gives us room as Christians to enjoy or tolerate systems of government. 
All right. Now, here's the thing. I'm not told there are things that our government does that I am not that that I do not care for. All right. Like, for instance, um, just to be just to be clear, for instance, um, the funding of Planned Parenthood. I do not agree with that. I do not care for abortion. I think that's a biblical thing. Um, however, I also also think that although I am tolerant of the fact that no, that's not the right word. I'm not tolerant. Um, Although I don't, I do not agree with, with that particular part of our government, I, I do like the fact that we're protected as citizens. I do like the fact that we have a military that protects us. I do like the fact that we have people who go to bat for certain things of our, I mean, in our, I mean, in our nation. And so I think that there is a very healthy balance that we can strike in the sense of with our, with our government being the way it is versus what we want it to be and being able to thrive as Christians in it. Because on one hand, guys, we're not called to just be people who just stand by and let things happen. Is everybody following me? It's okay. Let me just get to the end. But just there's, there's this thing where we don't stand back and allow things to just happen to us. I mean, we don't just accept everything the government throws at us, right? But on the other hand, we have a chance to affect change, but still do things for the glory of God. So that's why sometimes it's important for us to engage in politics so that we're able to protect the freedoms that God has given us. Amen? Amen. So listen, there's, there need to be more Christian politicians. There need to be more Christian people in, place, in, play, in places where, um, where people are making decisions because we want to be able to make sure that in America, and not only America, but in other places, that we are able to exercise our rights as believers to go and be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as freely as possible. Amen? And so what it boils down to is, yes, there may be a point of where we don't agree with things that they do, with some of the things that they do, versus we want to make sure that we're accomplishing the will of God. And there's a tension there because we want to make sure that we're accomplishing his will, but not giving over and, and rolling over with our Christian beliefs. And then let me just, and so, and with that being said, let me just get to the very end of this. In my conclusion, you can, I guess what, you can stand for this one. This will be easy. You see, we understand that, number one, Caesar has an authority. Number two, we have that God has an authority. But once again, I mentioned earlier that Jesus, in his statement, makes clear that there is one authority that is actually above the other. Now, when he answered the question before them, they were amazed because they thought he would answer either or. But Jesus answers and both. And that's where, the, and that's where it really boils down to, is that this, they couldn't say anything because he answered and both. And not only that, but Jesus also establishes that one authority is better than the other by the placement of his words. You see, because here's the thing, if the two realms are in conflict, if there's the realm of Caesar and what he legitimizes, and there's the realm of God and what God stands for, when the two realms are in conflict, God rules over Caesar. Amen? When things, when we're caught in a place where we're, where we're struggling to figure out which way we should go, we should always remember that Caesar, I mean, I'm sorry, that God rules over Caesar. You see, because in the end, because in the end, when it comes to it, God's authority and sovereignty rules over the fact that a ruler has power. When it boils down to it, God's redemption plan for man transcends over this idea of keeping peace. And more importantly than everything, God wants total obedience from us, and we'd rather obey God than obey men. 
Is everybody following me? And so what it really boils down to is this. If we, this thing about authority and this thing about being, being subject, I mean, this thing about what Jesus teaches about both authorities and the, um, in a believer's life, when that conflict comes up and you choose God, we choose God because he rules over. But more than anything else, men ought to find themselves, not, when, they, when they find themselves toiling, they should not find themselves toiling over which authority is better because God's authority is better. And when God's, and when, and in the end, we must align ourselves with God's authority because we need to subject ourselves to his authority and we must submit to him. The only way we, we can find ourselves to ultimately put ourselves in the subjection of authority is we have to submit to God. And even still, as God, as we tore between these ideals that man gives us and these things that we think are right versus what God says is right, we must always trust in God. But that starts with us trusting in the fact that he is the creator, sustainer of the universe, that he has a will for our life, that he is someone who has our best interests in mind and that we should follow him to the end. And so we must, give our, we must do our best to follow authorities with respect, but we must also remember that the ultimate respect and the ultimate authority goes to God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, I pray, God, that God, as we, God, as we end this, God, that you know, people would be mindful of your authority. God, that we would come to remember, God, that above any political affiliation, above anything that we, that we, um, that we have, God, our allegiance must be to you. You've given us life. You've trust, God, you've, you've put us on this earth, God, to be a witness and, a, and, a, a, witness and a, a testimony to your goodness, to who you are, to your character, to your integrity. But God, we must first recognize that we must submit ourselves unto you, to you first. God, we would rather obey you than obey others. God, and God, our, one of our first acts of obeying God is submitting ourselves, God, giving our life over to you. God, you laid down your life in the form of Jesus. You sacrificed, he gave so that we, God, so that we could have eternal life. And so God, we pray, God, that we would give ourselves over to your authority before any other authority, that we would place you above all, that God, when we look at ourselves in the mirror each day, God, we ask ourselves that question, God, are we, God, are we, are we a part of your redemptive plan? Are you sovereign over our life? And are we being totally obedient to your word and your way? The first act of that is becoming a believer. If there is anyone, God, who is in here, God, who is not a believer, who, God, who wants to come to you, God, who wants to lay their life down to you, God, who wants to submit to your authority, God, allow it to happen, we pray, God, that they would. If there's anyone who needs prayer, Lord, I pray, God, that they would come to you and submit themselves to you into any, any um, area of life that they may have sin. But above all, God, let us give glory to you because you're worthy. In Jesus' name.